I don't know if you guys have this in the States, but over here, the shower toggles for the temperature. Like, you've got the full 360-degree knob. Mm-hmm. But it goes from, like, there's, like, one degree of angle that you can use that's, like, a human-tolerable temperature. If you go okay. slightly be- below yep. that, it's, like, arctic cold, slightly above that, lava. So, so yeah, I don't know. Is, is that a similar experience <laughs> over there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends where you are, but that is definitely, uh, th- yeah, we run into that as well. I see. Yeah, so that's the volume knob on this microphone. Oh, I see. <laughs> I like, why are you talking about showers? In the- oh, man. Cool. Ready to go? You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain. With none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. Welcome back to the Propane Fitness Podcast. We are very excited today to have the 2003 Hot Rocks champion, John Roman Yellow. (laughs) That is a reference to the golden age of the T-Nation forums, uh, which is how we found out about John back when we were bogged down in the fitness industry. And this was about probably 2004, 2005, maybe. So we've been following this guy for a long time. And it's been really fascinating to see his perspective in the industry deepen and um, as the as the industry itself becomes more complex, more abstract. And uh, so, John, very happy to have you on today. Well, thank you. That is the first time on any podcast I, uh, anyone has referenced Hot Rock, so thank you for that. That's <laughs> it's, really, it's the thing is, it's quite an accolade, isn't it? So uh, It is, yeah. <laughs> I'm sub- you, you don't normally cite that in your bio when someone... You, you should. Like- no, I should. Yeah, I should, put it in, I should put it in my Tinder bio. I mean, that's really the that's the move. How would you? So, for the, for those of you, John, who who haven't heard of you before, who mm. have just heard that you won the Hot Rocks Challenge back in two thousand three, <laughs> like, do you want to give us a bit more? Give our readers a bit more, or listeners rather, a bit more of an introduction about yourself. Uh, sure. So um, I'll be brief because this is very findable everywhere on all of my sites and everything. Uh, so my name is John Romanello. I, uh, there's absolutely nothing special about me. I'm just a kid from Long Island and I happen to have failed my way into a, a reasonable degree of success in the fitness industry. I went through body transformation when I was in college at around 20 years old and right around that time found T-Nation. And for me, uh, because I've always been a writer first and everything else second, Nothing ever feels real until I am writing about it. And so sort of the way I found myself in the fitness industry uh, was I had gone through this body transformation and started helping my friends do the same and and started training people and got certified. And then when I was 20 years old and did not know fucking anything, like really didn't know my ass or my acetabulum, I I had the audacity to start (laughs) submitting articles to T-Nation. And T.C. Luama, who is the editor-in-chief there and, and really the, the guiding voice of T-Nation or what was then T-Mag, gave me a shot. I, uh, my content was solid. My, I've always been pretty savvy with programming. But more than anything else, it was that I could, I could turn a phrase and spin a reasonably well-written article by the standard of the industry. And so that sort of started it all. I, I really had started my personal training company to uh, avoid grad school and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I have not yet had to go to grad school, so it's been pretty great for me. Uh, so that, that was like 16 years ago. The personal training company did very well. Um, uh, I, I was doing that pretty much exclusively uh, along with some fitness modeling, et cetera. 
and then brought the business online in 2009, started my blog, uh, the, the first blog at romanfitnesssystems.com, which led to a number of info products, and eventually the book, Engineering the Alpha, which did reasonably well. And, uh, you know, between then and now, as we'll talk about over the course of the next uh, you know, half hour or so, uh, there's there's been sort of a lot of shifts, but uh, these days I primarily identify more as uh, a consultant and entrepreneur. I do fitness coaching still. I don't train any clients in person. I don't write a ton of fitness content. Uh, mostly, what I do is teach other fitness professionals how to build online businesses and teach other entrepreneurs uh, about writing and storytelling, which is sort of like so. It's it's really gone full circle for me. <laughs> Cool. So on engineering the alpha and being able to spin a good article, that's definitely stuff we want to dig into later on. But yeah. first of all, would you rather lose your willy or your leg? Willy. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I mean, I'd still have one leg. I, was, I, was, I know some guys have two dicks. I was only one with the one. Some guys. So, yeah. No, like there's actually, there's, as far as I know, uh, there, there's actually a very famous dude on Reddit. His, uh, he wrote a book called uh, Double Header, My Life with Two Penises. His, on Reddit, his handle is Dude. This dude actually has two working penises. I think there's really? a documentary about that. And it stops yeah. with him weeing against a wall and he walks away and there's two streams like, of wee. <laughs> brilliant. And uh, wee, this is like the most British I've ever heard. Okay, this is so. If, but I'll, I'll say that I, I was blessed with two legs, but only cursed with one dick. So if I had to choose, I would lose a leg. Wow. Okay. But I feel like there was a, a strong emphasis on the fact that that's because you know some people with two penises. So. I mean, yeah, it's. Well, the decision. I don't know anyone who is going to make the other call. Like, I mean, I, you know, like I can get mm-hmm. along without my my leg. I, you know, <laughs> they're doing wonderful things in the world of prosthesis, but I'm I'm not interested in a prosthetic penis. So. See, I, I I think just to be the contrarian, I would go with the willy. Yeah. Because uh, I I think I'd roll with it. I'd just go full sex change. and be like, you know what? Like, let's really just, lean into let's it. Just dive embrace in. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh. On the um, actually, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the the, the, the spiciest question till last. <laughs> so, would you rather sweat cheese and broccoli soup, or every movie you watch slowly transitions into Shrek halfway through? I don't <laughs> see a problem with sweating cheese and broccoli soup. I think that's amazing. Okay. Um, I yeah. think it's more that it's the social impact, isn't it? It's the it's the discomfort. Uh, Don't mind. I, you know what? I, I believe I could, t- I could spin it. Yeah. I, I really, I have faith in myself that I, if people just like, dude, what's going on? I'd be like, Oh, actually I sweat cheese and broccoli soup. <laughs> it's my thing. It's the best. You haven't heard yeah. of it. And Don't I think I, me. That's yeah, I, I think, do. I, yeah, I think I could do it. I suppose you would, there'd be that time when you turn a film on, forget that that's what happens every time. <laughs> yeah. We transition halfway through and it would be the sort of thing I think that would lead to total psychosis. Wouldn't it? So, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. Is it the first Shrek? Like, because the first Shrek is pretty good. Like Shrek yeah. three, not as much. I mean, that would be. That <laughs> you say it's pretty good. Is it good enough for every film? every single film? Just as well, things are. I don't, the story I don't think any film is good enough for every film. That would be bad. But yeah, so the, the cheese and broccoli soup. These are these are like pretty easy. I assume there's one that's going to be like an actual conundrum uh, in there somewhere. Honest, you're, you're you're sailing through these. Most people get really caught in the weeds. Well, I think you're, you know. <laughs> oh. Seeing very high level big picture, it's impressive. Still some sound logic going on though, which is which I appreciate. So would you rather never use or utilize any form of electronic device or 
have additional irremovable taste buds in your rectum? That one's harder. Uh, yeah, I think I can figure... I, I think that, like, you can... I, th- I think I could figure out a way to deal with the rectum situation. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, you guys, yeah, you have to keep in mind that, like, I eat a lot of ass. So, like, in general, <laughs> <laughs> like, I haven't, I haven't had a sexual encounter without putting my tongue in a partner's ass in, like, fucking 15 years. So my tongue's in a lot of butts. This is, okay. this is not overly difficult. So actually, you, it's actually, like, a sign in, hanging in, my, in our bedroom that says, eat more ass. So right. it's, like, it's there. Yeah. See, that was, I think that was a side of the answer that I don't think we anticipated, which definitely yeah. changes us. Yeah, talk about embracing so it, the, the yeah. answer, like the, embracing the question mm. is like, I think that's, yeah, and it, it's discomfort ultimately, whereas like suddenly having to move off grid all sources of income that involve online revenue gone. Be tough. Right. You'd have to personal train people one on one in person again. In, in the forest like, somewhere as well. Write books on a fucking typewriter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like joy. It's, it's, it's a slow. It's a slower game. All right. What's the next one? Give so it the, to me. So this is the last one, and I guess I should probably preface this that the the, the the crux of this question is that this is something that you don't already do in your spare time. Mm. So that I which that, is perfectly all right. If if, if that you is do, what you there do, there are no judgments with that. But <laughs> would you rather give the first ninety nine percent of a blowjob or the last one percent? Uh, I, it, you know, it depends on who it is because there's some people who I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm leaving. And like, I, I feel like, <laughs> so, um, I, and I sort of think that like the inherent power of being like, I'm done. Bye. <laughs> like, I kind of like that. I kind of dig that. Um, so being the 99% guy, give you a bit of yeah, that would, be, that would be amusing to me. Okay. Yeah. What would you pick yourself? I think the same. The 99%. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I think, I think it's got to be... That, that one's more in your control, isn't it? The 99%. I can either be... Because it's 99% of either a long time or a short time, depending on your, your ability. Yeah, That's but I mean, also, it. like, you know, the, your partner's uh, level of, uh, you know, just general endurance, their, their, how nervous they are. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be sitting there for 20 minutes trying to get a dude's dick hard just so I could blow him. That's a whole problem. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, because then the 99% could be hours. Yeah, I mean, hours and hours of, you know, yeah. yeah that's, that's a whole thing. So, yeah. But assuming, you know, standard conditions, I'll take the 99% for sure. <laughs> cool. Cool. So that is the – that's going to sound awful on the microphone. You said, you said hate stuff like that. Sorry what about that. that. So that, that's the would you rather stuff out of the way. Um, cool. So we've kind of, you, you, you briefly covered in your intro – like what got you into into fitness and what your initial experiences were. I'm I'm right in saying that your first movement into fitness was very much like I want to look shredded. I want to be a model. It's it was appearance physique that was the uh, focus. Sort of. Uh, so prior to that, I um, I played sports in high school, um, and so I was I was very lucky to have. Uh, a coach for wrestling and football who had been a power lifter. And so our, our training programs, you know, back when I was from the time I was like, you know, 14 to 18, I don't know that I ever did above eight reps 
And right. so it was, you know, sets of four, six, and eight, um, sometimes uh, laddering up, sometimes pyramiding. Um, and, uh, you know, I came out of high school, like, squatting 450. Um, and, uh, but, you know, then, yeah, like, when I, when I took control of it when I was 20 or so, it was, it was aesthetics-based, for sure. Okay. And what was the, I suppose, like, our experience of that, and I think probably the, the typical experience of what, what you think low body fat's going to be like? or getting to and maintaining low body fat, what that's going to be like and what it's actually like and what it's actually like maintaining that, especially if there's a modeling context in there. Mm. What, what was that like for you? Well, getting there, um, you know, uh, was not, it was not easy, I guess, because it required a lot of sacrifice. It was pretty simple for me. I mean, you know, it was weird because I was like kind of a chubby kid my whole life. And then once I kind of got my act together, Turns out I have like really solid genetics for this, so uh, you know I hold on to fat pretty easily. But getting you know getting lean um, at that time was not uh, overly problematic for me because I had a very different lifestyle. Firstly, I was training people, you know, or like I went on to train people. So so maintaining a low body fat when you're a full time trainer in your early twenties like is pretty fucking simple. You know, like you're in the gym all day, you're demonstrating exercises, you're working out frequently, you're walking around training clients. All you got to do is like eat well and, um, you know, train regularly and you should be fine. Uh, being shredded full time. And I, I was shredded. I was, you know, from the time I was like <sighs> with a couple of months where I was bulking uh, accepted, I, I was pretty much like between six, yeah, between five and eight body fat from the time I was 20 until I was like 26. So, um that's it, that is difficult like staying within striking distance of being photo shoot ready it, it was a challenge um but you know at the time i i lived a life that allowed for it you know i again uh am fine eating very boring foods and uh, my social life wasn't overly impacted. I, I was very fortunate to have a group of friends who were just like, oh, no, that's John. He's like our fitness friend. And he just, you know, eats chicken and shit. And it's, it's fine. <laughs> so I, I, I've, I've never, I've really honestly, like, never faced peer pressure in any regard. Like, I didn't do any drugs or, or drink in high school or college. And my friends were like, yeah, it's fine. Just drive us around. And so, I, you know, it's uh, now that I have, like, experiments with these substances later in my life, I'm like, you got, what the fuck were you guys doing? Why didn't you tell me how great it was? <laughs> Let me be weird and eat chicken and broccoli. You should have just been like, maybe drop this tab of acid and see what happens. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it, it, but, uh, I, I think that, like a lot of people, when I first went through a body transformation uh, and discovered fitness, it became my whole life. It was this thing that I did. It was this thing that I wrote about. It was the group of people that I hung out with. Uh, and it, and it became my job. And I think that a big part of that is I had been looking for some sort of anchor for, for who I was becoming as a young man. You know, you try and figure out who you are. And, um, for me, it became, you know, I, I got to look at myself as a bodybuilder. And it became very much, you know, I guess an obsession. And I, I think there was a, a time period where I, I definitely was treating food in a way that would qualify as orthorexia. Um, and, I, you know, I had a lot of head trash in my head in terms of if I, 
if I eat this or start eating that, my, my body will go back to the way it used to be and then my life will go back to the way it used to be. So I, for me, I think that it's very normal whenever people find something that brings them a sense of identity to go balls deep. And I think that in the fitness context, that trial by fire is very necessary for a lot of people. And I think it's, you know, you get to live at the extreme for a little while and then, and then you slowly get to, to walk back and see where you want to sit. So, um, you know, if you are a young man and like I was, and you have pretty good genes, maintaining low body fat was a challenge, but it wasn't like, it didn't make me miserable. Like it seems to make a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense about the anchoring your identity in something and um, almost having this extrinsic pressure to stay shredded for, for, for years at a time. And it's definitely something that we've been through as well in the, mm. um, you know, the, as you said, the head trash, the orthorexic eating patterns, the social awkwardness, the fear around overeating or, um, generally feeling quite trapped. And I think both of us really at some point ended up with borderline eating disorders, having maintained, having got to sort of very low levels of body fat and obviously mm. the physiological and the psychological effects of that, just keeping you in that cycle and in that loop. You also you talked a little bit about testosterone in the past and having low T. Do you think yeah. having um, been that lean for a sustained period had any kind of negative effect on your testosterone? No, honestly. Um, you know, I was always like eating high protein, uh, high fat, or relatively high fat. And um, anytime that I've gone through uh, a dip, and by the way, uh, for, for anyone who isn't familiar with the legend of John Romanello, this particular incident that Yusuf is referencing, when I was around 25, um, I uh, just experienced a a period of low testosterone. I didn't know what it was. I just knew that all of a sudden, like I didn't want sex and, and you know, whatever, whatever other, um, consequences come attached to that. And I got my testosterone levels checked and they were absolutely in the shitter. Uh, but that was very much a consequence of burning the candle at both ends. I hadn't been training as hard. I'd been eating more high carb and, and less high fat. Uh, but more to the point, I was just not sleeping. I was uh, training a lot. I was also like a degenerate at this point in my life. I was playing poker like semi-professionally 25 hours a week, sometimes coming (laughs) home at four in the morning and then getting up to train clients at six. You know, I was, I was really, you know, burning the (laughs) camp. Yeah. So that, that, you know, in retrospect had a lot more to do with it. I do not think it had anything to do with, you know, maintaining very low body fat. It has to do with, uh, if you take uh, a large amount of stupidity and you (laughs) combine it with, with one thing, you might be okay. But when you take that stupidity and you bake it into a cake with, uh, you know, like not sleeping and dietary changes, like the things like they, you know, they fall apart. It's so. a really bad cake. Yeah. So but, the, but those sides of your life at the same time, like you were low body fat and playing poker and not sleeping and presumably yeah. trying to manage your diet at the same time as well, right? Yeah, I mean, so look, right around the time that I went into the um, the period of, of low testosterone, I had stopped training as hard. I was really focusing on making money at that time. I was in a serious relationship. I'd moved in with my first serious girlfriend. And, you know, I was like 25 and I was like, oh, we're in love. We're going to get married. And like 
thinking about saving for a ring and a house. And, you know, at the time, those things seemed so far out of my reach in terms of like what I was able to generate in terms of my income and versus my expenses. And so, you know, playing poker was, was very much like a way that I was supplementing my income. And I, uh, by the standard of the day in the, in the rooms that I found myself in, I was a pretty good player and I would probably make like three K four K a month sometimes. Um, and so I was very much focused on that. And so, yeah, that was probably, my body was definitely softer, uh, except when I had a photo shoot, but you know, like you can, you can have a lot of, uh, yo-yoing and, and, and move from one extreme to the next. If you're, if you know what you're doing and, and your body is, um, resilient, but after a while there are consequences. So was it this period where it's cause I'm, I'm if you were 25, that must've been kind of 10, 11 years ago that started to, um, fuel the engineering, the alpha, or at least start the the process yeah. of writing this? Uh, so it, it, it sort of catalyzed the development of a lot of theories that would eventually become alpha. Uh, you know, the, the idea of rotating training modalities and doing uh, metabolic resistance training versus, uh, you know, like lactic acid-based training. All of that was just sort of became what I did as a trainer because it had worked really well for me. And, uh, I was using it with my clients. And so then when I released my first info product in 2010, uh, it was Final Phase Fat Loss. And that was more or less a summary of what I had been doing in that regard. And then Alpha, which was three years later, was, uh, you know, like more of a muscle building sort of lifestyle approach to that. So can you talk to us a little bit about the the... So you know, I said earlier about the that you you've, you've you've deepened and expanded your mindset towards fitness and what that mm-hmm. what that entails in terms of growth on all aspects of your life, the physical, mental, the spiritual. And you recommended a book called The Way of the Superior Man by David Data, which mm-hmm. I've read and it is fantastic. Really uh, unique perspective on sexuality, sexual energy, male female polarity, um, and inhabiting your body essentially and it's definitely something that i'd recommend for anyone that's interested in those topics um can you talk to us a little bit about your journey in that field sure as i as i said in alpha what i really believe is that uh fitness is a really great metaphor for control for taking control of your life and if you if you can bend and shape your corporeal form, uh, bend it to your will and make it look how you want to look, you know, if you, if you can spend a year and at the end of that year you are leaner and bigger and stronger and you can, you can literally do things that you could not have done prior, whether that is, uh, you know, run a certain distance without getting tired, whether it's perform a certain way, whether it is, you know, being able to lift ungodly amounts off the floor or squat it. That teaches you something. I think that the process for change is more or less universal. And the things that you learn from fitness in terms of consistency, discipline, um, uh, uh, you know, adaptability, um, these are things that are necessary as an entrepreneur or as a, as a, as a you know, uh, a partner in a relationship or even a, a business partnership. And uh, so 
for me, fitness is a really great vehicle to understand how change in general happens within the context of your life. But like anything else, you know, you have chapters in your life and uh, things that were very important in one chapter are, are still there later in the book, but less so. And so in terms of, you know, where that puts fitness or, or, or began to put it, when I was younger, it was fitness was exclusively my job. And I believed, as many people do, that part of the job was to look a certain way. And, and you know, maybe that's true. But it also took up a lot of time. And then, you know, you, you just start to prioritize other things. And I, 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 I think that um, using fitness as a, a vehicle to make sure that I was taking care of myself instead of make sure that my body looked a, way, a certain way, that was the big changeover. And uh, yeah, you just sort of like, and, I, and like, I, I don't know what the age range of your, your listeners is. So I, I like, I, I hate saying shit like this. I don't like to sound like, you know, like the, like the grandfather, but <laughs> Um, because I remember very much being 28 and I remember being 23 and I remember being 23 and deadlifting 600 pounds in the gym and older guys, you know, coming up to me and be like, oh man, that's going to hurt your back. And I'd be like, no, when I get to your age, my back's not going to hurt specifically because I'm doing this. And to a certain extent, that's true. But like, obviously my fucking back hurts, you know, like I'm, you know, it's not, not probably not the deadlifting. It's probably all the other shit in my life. But, uh, I, so I just think that things become a little bit less important in certain regards um, as you develop other areas and as certain parts of your life change. You know, when you guys are 28, so when when is it that you were walking around super shredded? 25, maybe? Yeah, 20, I think 23. Bit, bit younger, yeah. mm-hmm. Okay, so, and a big impetus for that was uh, as a mating qualifier, right? Like, Absolutely. other guys were not shredded, and you were, and you wanted to look great for, you know, to, to attract women, because this is the thing that you can give them, right? This great, beautiful body. And that might draw them in, and then you, uh, you know, you guys are, you're nice dudes, you're smart, you keep them with your personality, etc., other people buy fancy cars and, and you know, or, or wear a certain type of clothing. And, and these are things that you do partially for yourself, but also partially because there are a lot signals. of biological – Right, there's signals, and we don't realize that we're doing it. It's, it's you know, it's a, a, a big biological drive, and that's fine. And, you know, you just so – when you start, like, looking at yourself in terms of uh, what you can offer the, the world or, or offer a mate – at some point, hopefully, the fact that you're 6% body fat is, like, pretty low on the list. Even if you're maintaining 6% body fat, like, that, that shouldn't be item one, you know? And I put up a, an Instagram post about this recently in terms of the current condition that I'm in, which is pretty great. You know, I'm in, I'm, I'm in pretty solid condition given the effort that I put in, uh, which is very, very minimal compared to what I used to. And, and the main thing there is that I, I always think about like what's the ROI of anything, right? So I am a by training like a collective three hours a week um, and making like sort of instinctive dietary decisions uh, and being able to socialize in the ways that I want, doing those things, which is basically a very laissez-faire approach to fitness. I'm able to maintain low body fat, like I have visible abs, I'm not shredded, I'm not photo ready, um, I'm 
I, you know, uh, but I'm five eight at 195 pounds lean. Uh, I'm still quite strong. I could do that with minimal effort. To get shredded, to be like walking around at like a shredded 187 or or lower, um, I'd have to train a lot more. I'd have to be very consistent with everything about nutrition, including you know tracking my macros uh, consistently, weighing my food, and uh, I'd probably have to give up alcohol. For, yeah. at least for a while so like you're at an inflection point like it's there's decreasing marginal returns from every extra unit of effort and focus and you have to put in you don't get that much back exactly so like i <clears throat> what is what is being shredded going to do for me like maybe i can post some shirtless selfies on instagram but i'm you know fitness is very much a young man's game and i'm not even doing fitness as my my primary job anymore so what's the ROI of that? Like, first of all, like, no matter what I do, I'm not keeping up with the 25-year-old six-pack kids. Like, it's just not what it is. You know, not only does my audience not want that, um, I'm still contending with age. Um, and so I'm not I'm, – what is being shredded going to do for me? I'm not going to have any more sex. My orgasms won't be better. I won't make more money. I'm not going to write more effectively or more often. Uh, my health won't improve. It will probably decrease. And the – the social sacrifice is going to be tremendous because I'd have to go, I'd have to prepare nearly all of my food. And here in New York City, my my primary form of uh, entertainment, social entertainment, is going out to eat and having drinks, and I like that. And so, giving that up to get almost nothing back makes no sense for me. There's no there's no win there. So, if you were to say, I don't know, five six years ago. If we assume that like you're making that decision because there are there are higher ROI uses of your time right now, or mm-hmm. making or changing that decision right now would mean that you get net overall a worse experience. Would you have made that decision sooner in your life, with the realization that you have now of like this is my life now and I'm not shredded and it doesn't matter? Would you have changed from twenty three year old John to where you are now at a sooner point? I don't know. I, you know, for me, um, I, I believe that the experiences I had that sort of led me to this philosophy were necessary to get there. Right. And a, a lot of that had to do with just sort of, you know, body acceptance. And, and you know, there are a lot of amazing people who talk about this. I'm, I, I don't really discuss this heavily, but, but one of the, one of the downsides of living a fitness lifestyle, and I'm sure you guys can sort of understand this is once you have been truly shredded, literally everything else feels fat like (laughs) everything everything feels fat like i know that like objectively i look good compared to the average 36 year old man i look phenomenal compared to 26 year old me i'm like Mm -hmm. so there has to sort of you know you have to like live in in a body everyone's got sort of like a um like a threshold where it's just like I can get this fat and then after that I'm like I got to shower with my clothes on to hide from my own corpulence. <laughs> but yeah. – and then you dial back. And so you just sort of like you know live in that uh, – um, you know that, that, that sort of variance until you kind of can settle to like this is the point where it's like I, I look – I'm not near my threshold. I look good. I like it and like I like the amount of effort I put in and that just takes experience. But, you know, the body acceptance stuff is um, it's really important, you know, particularly for women. But I also think that it's important that, that we bring attention to it for men because, you know, if you, if you like tell a woman 
that you know she's heavy or whatever. Like the body shame police come and attack you, and they should, and that's important. But you know, there's still dudes on Instagram who are like trying, and they're like they're young and they like want to do this, and it's important to them, and they post some shit, and then people like you know, do you even lift, bro? And they're like they get shamed for not making yeah. progress fast enough. And that that is damaging in its own way. And and that um, I thankfully never had to deal with that specific thing because I, uh, you know, just genetically uh, was able to to progress very quickly. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that there's a there's a need for that. It's not it's not my work. It's not my mission to just tell dudes to love their body as it is. I, you know, I think that there's a lot. I think that. As valuable as learning to love your body is, I would rather you learn to change it first, even if that means hating it for a little while, because then you can come to the acceptance later. And what you learn from being able to change your body teaches you so much. And I, I don't think it's worth sacrificing that just to, like, love yourself. But in terms of the self-love and the body shit, like, you know, um, my ex-wife, Negar Fanuni is absolutely phenomenal. She does great work. Uh, there's a lot of amazing people on Instagram and I, um, yeah, I just think that, you know, Molly Galbraith from Girls Gone Strong, uh, uh Devin DeMoretti, um, who is one of my current partners and, uh, just a, a, a lot of amazing people. I, I think it's, it's worth checking out. So I don't know if you have a lot of women reading or listening, but you know, whether you're a man or a woman, I do think that there's not a lot of value in hating yourself. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. <laughs> Hello, Johnny here. Just a short interruption to this episode. I know what you're thinking. This show was brought to you by none of that. Trust me. We have something completely free, something to give you today. So we're aware that you guys who've been listening to our podcast, you've heard before us talk about the show notes and other places to go to download things from propanefitness.com. But we want to give those of you who listen to our podcast something completely different, something completely unique that we don't provide anywhere else. So we want to give you something that is actually a membership area or a membership portal where we have loads of free goodies, some downloads, some things to watch, some trainings, and some free presentations that we want to give you all bundled together completely free. All you have to do is go to propanefitness.com forward slash gift. There's no email opt-in. There's no enter your email and receive this. It's completely obligation free. You just enter your email, enter your username rather, and your password, and then you'll be sent login details. So completely free. In there, we have some training on the 3i formula. That's the framework that we use with all of our coaching students and loads of other free goodies. So that's propanefitness.com forward slash gift. Head over there now pick up your free training and we hope you enjoy. Hope you enjoy the rest of this episode and we'll speak soon. There's something you said back in, I picked this up from your Facebook in 2016. Um, you were quite open about using TRT, or I think sure. you referred to it as, as steroids, right? I so, mean, yeah, for, for yeah. the clickbait, sure. <laughs> Fine. So I think there's, so there's a, a quote attached to that, which I think is, I see as being linked to your your perspective changing with fitness and leanness and, and all that sort of stuff and you said i don't want to just feel fine because if that was the case i wouldn't have got to 200 pounds of six percent body fat and this idea that i think going back to you know any, any guy who's been through a fit or men and women i suppose who've been through a fitness experience in their early 20s where they looked it to that to them they're in great shape and as they age that becomes either harder to maintain because there are other priorities in their life and they start to feel less like, like I am the ultimate warrior. You know, now I feel just a bit more normal. Um, mm. 
is can you talk a bit more about like what what prompted that decision because i suppose most people would look and think well you're still young to be to be taking to be using that and making that decision but mm. I'm, I'm guessing you have a, a lot of logic behind it so you can talk about that yeah so i mean it's so interesting that like we even in, in the fitness industry where we're highly educated and we have acceptance over the idea that these <clears throat> compounds can be used for for health and longevity um we we even even this built into your question is these ideas like why should i have to justify doing it at 33 mm-hmm. like you know it's like you're quote you're still young but why does that matter like why why does it you know like it, there there should there doesn't need to be some sort of attachment to it you know that like like just just to, and this is a, a very disconnected example but um if you look at, at, at like religion, uh, which is an area that I've studied, uh, uh, we have a word for like not believing in God. Like we have atheists, you know, but like in no other area do we have a word for just like not doing something. I'm not like I don't have a word for for like, you know, like not being a racist. I'm not a race, you know, like you're racist. I'm not unracist. I'm just like a, like we normally put labels on things that do exist. We don't feel the need to have labels on things that don't exist. So just built into our languaging, we have all of these interesting ideas. And so the idea that like I'm using testosterone earlier than maybe I need to is like, that's a, it's a fundamentally bankrupt idea. But in like, we all, we're all wrapped up in that. And I, I knew that I would, I would do it, um, eventually, uh, and then when I examined why I waited so long, it's because like I had all this value judgment attached to like, okay, well, I want to be natty for as long. Like, why? What? Like, I don't, I'm not fucking competing in anything. It doesn't matter. This is like, I don't give a fuck. Uh, but that shit is like built into your head, right? Um, that steroids are cheating. I don't understand. Like, it's only cheating if you're competing in something and if there's a rule that says you can't. So anyway, um, you know, I, I, just gave it a lot of thought and like i'm not i'm not interested in waiting until i absolutely feel like shit to start doing the things that are going to make me feel better right and uh you know after 30 testosterone level natural testosterone levels drop by about one percent per year and alpha covered how to increase testosterone naturally and I was already doing all those things, and when I, you know, I got my, my test levels checked every year, and when even I was doing everything right, firing on all cylinders, and when, despite that, things were still going down year after year, I realized that's just age, and at that point, I was like, I have the 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 means, I have the the uh, the supervision, I, I have the the knowledge, and I'm I'm have the interest, and like that's really enough for me i like to feel better you know like i like just the physique shit didn't kick in for months but within weeks i just like felt, i was sleeping better i felt i just felt better it's like it's just a, it's a it's a thing so it's, it's it's just an overall well-being thing for me so you've got you've had positive experiences from it and you made that decision two years ago having come to that realization of like i'm not actually cheating at anything like i yeah. and you kind of broke the the limiting belief of like, oh, I, I have to be nutty for as long as possible. 
No. Do you um, do you now wish that you'd done it any earlier, or do you think oh, the circumstances were yeah. right? Absolutely. I wish that I would have done it when I was oh, 28. My, <laughs> see, I hate oh. hearing that. Cause not- <laughs> hey, listen, cause here's the thing. It's, it's not going to fundamentally shift anything for you, but like my life from 28 to like 31 was so uh, dedicated to work and building my business and I wasn't sleeping a lot and I was traveling. And like at the time, because I was still single, I, I did put in a ton of effort and stress about maintaining like a leaner physique. And like I really wish that I, you know, the, the primary thing is it, with, with steroids, enhancement is one thing, but recovery is the key. Like people want to, you know, talk about like steroids and sports. Like, listen, you want to get rid of steroids in baseball, cut the number of games in half. Like, 184 games is like, it's a lot to, to put on your body. But so is what I was doing, traveling back and forth from, you know, New York to Florida to L.A. to so New like, York to San Diego. If you drop the demands on yourself, then that's equally affecting your recovery capacity right. or but you I, increase your I capacity. Exactly. I couldn't, I couldn't cut those things out. So, yeah, had I, had I done it when I was 28... It probably would have made life a little bit simpler, you know, in terms of a few things. It, it would have—I probably would have gotten sick less often. I probably would have been able to deal with stress more effectively. And I, I think that I just, you know, it, so it would have allowed me to just sort of chill. That that makes sense. And the, there was another shift in mindset you said uh, earlier on, where you were like, you were the the mate that would always be driving people around sober with the chicken and broccoli and the Tupperware, and you didn't take drugs. And it was only later when you were like, guys, I wish you said this was so great. What <laughs> yeah. was it the same thinking that influenced the, the switch from being a kind of a, a drug free guy into experimenting with, with psychedelics and, and other things? You know, uh, so I grew up in a very abusive household. My dad, um, was, uh, was, was brutal to my mother and I like just for, you know, we don't have to get into this. I'm just providing context. Uh, like I, he hospitalized me three times before I was 10 years old. So really just like a rough okay. upbringing. He was also – he had a big coke problem. And so in my head, I sort of related those two things and I sort of extrapolated uh, and, and put a lot of sort of just value judgment on drugs themselves. And so I grew up completely drug-free. You know, I um, To this day, I've never smoked a cigarette. Um, I didn't start drinking socially until I was like 25, 26. Wow. Uh, and um, so, yeah, I was, you know, was, I was like 33 years old. And I had never done any drugs, and, and it was just sort of like, yeah, this is like, it's fine. I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. But then the more I was like doing, uh, I was going through therapy, like I, I don't have a relationship with my father. I really haven't spoken to him much in the past 25 years. And I was, of all places, I was at Ryan Holiday's wedding. Uh, and uh, for anyone who doesn't know Ryan, um, he recently wrote a book called Conspiracy. He's written uh, The Obstacles of the Way. way. Yeah, uh, ego is the enemy. Tr- tremendous writer, good friend of mine. So I was at his his wedding, and I was in a conversation with Tim Ferriss, who's a good friend of mine, and Aubrey Marcus, another friend of mine, who is the the founder of On It, and Tucker Max, and um, and I, like, I don't mean to be like dropping all these names <laughs> here, but like th- this is just the situation, and uh, they were just talking a lot about mushrooms and and other psychedelics, and Tim was saying how he doesn't doesn't love LSD, but psilocybin, which is in mushrooms, has like changed his life. And Tim at that point had just started funding research to, uh, to, have, to, fund, to fund the studies for 
uh, the use of psilocybin to treat major depression. I, I suffer from depression. And, um, you know, I was living in California and like anyone could get a, a medical card to, to get cannabis. And I, while I was at the wedding, I just came to this interesting realization <clears throat> that for 25 years, I had let a man, uh, the actions of a man with whom I had no relationship influence me, even though I, I like lived my whole life trying to differentiate myself from my father in so many regards. But I was like, why should I let his actions and the way he behaved have more influence on me than the words of these men who have repeatedly earned my respect and for whom I have great admiration and, and you know, like, like Tim is one of my closest friends and a great advisor and, and, and Aubrey is, you know, we just were aligned on so many levels and, and they were talking about mushrooms and ayahuasca and I was like, okay, that's something that like I can be open to. And so I realized I don't have like an issue with drugs in a lot of capacities, but I still have an issue with delivery systems. Mm-hmm. So the idea of smoking something is like abhorrent to me. So I started like, you know, with, with edible cannabis, like 2.5 to 5 milligrams, and then writing how I felt about it, like while I was on. I, I'm just such a nerdy guy. And then, you know, like working my way up. And then, um, yeah, so, so the, the big change was mostly that I, I released this attachment and this association between drugs, the umbrella category of drugs, and, and, and you know, there's, all these substances are so different, um, that the, the association between that and my, my father, uh, once I released that, I was like, okay, well, now I can begin researching and experimenting. And uh, so, yeah, I've had, I've had um, universally good experiences. Cocaine is not my drug. It's not my thing at all. I don't, I don't understand, like, I mean, you got, it seems like you just got to, like, re-up every 15 minutes. That seems very inconvenient to me. But, uh, well, as you know, like, Diet Coke is, is really bad for you, but you should sniff yeah. cocaine off a hooker's ass, and that's... Off a hooker's ass, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, really, you guys really went deep with the, with oh, the yeah. Roman. <laughs> it's, been, been, uh, it's been a long time, yeah. So, um, well, yeah, but, like, psilocybin and LSD have been interesting experiments for me, and... Um, one of the things that I will say is like, I was very, very fortunate to become associated with someone who works at, uh, like I've, I've never revealed this specific thing. So I'm, I want to be vague. So, uh, this person works at, uh, he is a very important person in one of the, uh, science departments at, one of the most prestigious universities in the United States. And at that university, they are producing um, MDMA for, uh, for the studies we're in. They are uh, using MDMA. Assisted psychotherapy. To, to, yeah, yeah, to treat PTSD in particular. And so through this particular person, um, I was uh, gifted some pharmaceutical grade uh, MDMA. And like that was, you know, and I've had a couple of, absolutely life-changing experiences there and so but what, what's really interesting to me is like now that you know like uh, cannabis is completely legal in california when i'm like uh, i don't understand how like my parents generation did drugs like i realize that once you start legalizing things it's you open the door for a completely different type of drug user like me and it's not that like i didn't i avoided them because i was illegal there was i don't care about breaking the law <laughs> But once they become legal, the, the way that things get produced is so different. Like, 
imagine if you're in the 19th control and um yeah but also variety and information like i can't imagine like if you wanted to get high in the 70s you would just have to go to the corner and buy weed from a guy and you like (laughs) i I, you know you just like that's it just like this is the drug that you have so this is what i'm gonna buy and i don't fucking know anything about it and i'll just go ahead and put it in my body when i go to a dispensary in california i like have i'm like okay well this strain is great for like nighttime anxiety and this one is good for creativity this is a great body high and it's great for sex i like have all you know it's like i i only do drugs in a very bougie way i cannot imagine like just randomly haphazardly putting shit that's crazy i can't believe people ever did drugs like that i I want like the pharmaceutical like university produced mdma and and lsd i want like psilocybin that's grown by my friends and so like i know everything and i want to like go in and be able to like buy um you know, like various types of cannabis that like serve very specific needs. Like I, that's the only way I can imagine. It. It's so it's probably like, good that I waited. It's a terrifying prospect that you'd be putting something in your body that's maybe been carried across the country in someone's bum, like from a different, you know, in the airport or whatever. Mm. But um, something you mentioned there was that really resonates with me, John. Is uh, you said that because of your relationship with your dad, you had assigned this kind of aversion to. A, a, a category of stuff without necessarily being objective about it or not being able to be objective about it until that was rattled by some smart friends that you've got. And yeah. and to be clear, by the way, again, still no peer pressure. Nobody was like, hey, you've got to try this. But just listening to them and their experiences was yeah, what I, made I me... Yeah. I can't imagine Tim Ferriss' approach to drugs is like, hey, like, give this a try. <laughs> like, I'm sure yeah. it's a very, you know, I did this, outcome was this. This is my yeah, opinion, precisely. John. Do what you want. Yeah, yeah. precisely. Right. So there's a chapter in The Way of the Superior Man called Live as Though Your Father Were Dead. And mm-hmm. the idea is, whether your father is alive or not, not to just inherit their value system and live in the same way, which may not be suited to your generation or also just won't be in alignment with your purpose. And um, when my dad actually died, I realized how much I was holding on to in my behavior that was just to... Um, unconsciously try and get his approval as opposed to um, forging my own path. And so hearing you say that is uh, really interesting to, to see that, um, yeah, it can see it can affect all kinds of choices. Yeah, there's an old expression and an old uh, aphorism that a man only becomes a man when he buries his father. And I, yeah, I think that's true. Like for me, um, you know, it's been a process of letting go of, of all of this stuff over the past two plus decades um i i don't know that i'll have any significant change when my biological father actually does pass but uh yeah i mean so that's the thing you know it, it takes a really long time to sort of detach from the things that were put in your head and uh you know making a careful audit of those and seeing their source and then discarding and then only keeping the things that serve you i want to change tack a bit john and ask you something about relationships. You can yeah. say, if, if you don't want to talk about anything, you just absolutely say. Um, there was something, and again, I realize it sounds like we are just fanboying you so hard, but these are things mm-hmm. we've picked up over like a decade. Sure. Um, so I, I remember hearing you say something which was along the lines of, um, you know, you're in your early 20s or you, you're in your 20s and you face this problem as a, so a standard guy interested in fitness, very focused on physique and, and appearance, full set of abs, thinks quite quite highly of yourself in a social context, and you get a lot of female attention. Or I remember mm-hmm. you saying you had a lot of female attention. And that makes deciding 
to enter a relationship that is monogamous, a mm. difficult decision. Um, I, I, I know you mentioned been passing in the conversation, your, your ex-wife. So I, I assume you're single at the moment or not married, I assume. I'm not married. No. Um, so this is actually like, this is like three conversations at once. So first, um, <laughs> like, uh, fuck. And like, and I have like a hard stop in 10 minutes. So like getting into this is a little tricky. Okay. No so regarding, regarding my ex-wife, um, uh, in 2012, I met and in 2013 married an unbelievable woman named Negar Fanuni, who, uh, like me, was in the fitness industry and also, like me, now does like business consulting. She's one of the most talented writers I have ever met in my life and probably uh, one of the smartest people. She speaks five languages. She's incredible in every way. And um, she's uh, she's unreal she's an it's 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 just like it, it's hard to find a person who is as incredible as nagar and when you find one you marry them uh except if you haven't done a lot of the work necessary to figure out who yourself you you can you can struggle uh neg and i got divorced for a couple of reasons the the largest of which is that she feels about california the way i feel about new york and it's like the greatest that it is the greatest place in the world and she can't imagine why anyone would want to live elsewhere um so like that's you can't you can't be in a in a household and want to exist two different places. But a, a big piece of it was neither of us could be happy um, uh, for a, a, like I, I don't I don't ever want to say that this was like the reason. Um, but yeah, monogamy is just it, it's not for me. And um, there were a lot of struggles. There were a lot of um, you know things that I was doing, which like in my head, I'm like, Oh, that's fine. It's like just, you know, and in her head were inappropriate and that, that caused a lot of issues. And then like toward the end of our, um, relationship when I was like living, you know, we were separated and I was like living in New York. Uh, most of the time I was just like flat out, like fucking a bunch of other women. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's, that wasn't the life that she wanted. That was, you know, Neg is a monogamous. Um, and so through self-exploration over the past several years, like I, I have come to realize that I, I am just not a monogamous person. And, you know, it, it, once you sort of look at that and sort of go backwards, you might, you can see the seeds of this and the question where it's like in my twenties, um, I had a lot of trouble with this, but ultimately I have come to, view monogamy and polyamory as existing on a spectrum much like heterosexuality and homosexuality and i i really view my my polyamory or my non my non-monogamy as more of a sexual orientation than a lifestyle choice if i could met you know it's just like i i have um i don't want to shout anyone out by name but i have friends who are gay and you know they're they love themselves and they accept themselves and, and it's great but you know they're they're very um candid that like it would be easier to be straight you know like the world is set up for straight people and if they could wave a magic wand maybe they would do that for me i if i could you know when when i was struggling in my marriage there was never a point where i wanted to be like okay well if i could wave a magic wand i would make neg um polyamorous and you know uh it, it was always that if i could change something i would change myself i would um i would want to be able to be joyously fulfilled through monogamy because it is easier in in that respect it's less to manage it's more socially acceptable it's cheaper um 
but you know, like that's not who I am. I have never, you know, the mantle of monogamy has never sit lightly on my shoulders. And so it took a really, really long time and a lot of fucking up and hurting a lot of people before I realized like, that's just not me. And sitting there wishing that I could be different so that I could be better for Negar was damaging to my self-esteem. And it got to the point where it's just like there were these two houses. And in this house, you're damaged and you're broken and you're afraid of commitment and you're a sex addict and all of this stems from your trauma. And you can, you, you're broken and you need to be fixed and you can be fixed if you do these things. Um, and then there's this house where it's like this is how you are and it's beautiful and – uh, you know, you can have very successful relationships and you're going to struggle and it's hard, but it's like, this is, this is it. And this is real and this is you and it's fine and it's great. And after a while, I just couldn't live in that first fucking house anymore because like that will kill you. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, you know, being told like to, that I needed to go to, uh, meetings for sex addiction to try and, you know, move away from being polyamorous is very much like being told you're going to pray the gay away. Like, it's just not how, life works you know so this is um yeah this is this is uh where i am in my life i'm i'm uh very happily polyamorous i uh have two partners two amazing partners with whom i live um they uh so we are a what's called a triad they're both bisexual women um which like i, I think sounds like every straight male fantasy of, <laughs> of what it's like but it's it's a whole other kind of work and then like externally you know like if um if anyone is interested in uh, going on dates or having relationships outside of that, uh, those things are options. I uh, I don't have the bandwidth. I'm not interested in that, but it is an option, and that can happen later. So I identify as a polyamorous person. I, I love the freedom. I love that I don't have to hate myself anymore, and I love that I, I can, like, although I still fuck up in relationships, as we all do, I no longer view um, this this way that I'm called to connect with people as a um, like this great character flaw that will ultimately lead to the demise of every relationship. Like, and you know, if I like really want to have sex with someone, or I'm like really feeling connected and I want to explore that with someone, I tell my partners, and you know, it, it's either uh, an option or it's something we can discuss, and you know, and it's that. It's really interesting to see it as a sexual orientation and to not. Um, the fact that it's, it's liberated you from the, the cycle of self-hate by, I guess, the expectations of previous partners and society trying to push you into a certain um, groove that you're just not suited to. Um, and it sounds like this, is a, this has been a, a bigger source of happiness for you. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's it, everything... If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like real connection is is one of the necessary steps for self fulfillment. And as much as I love Negar, like um, and 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 as much as I was connected to her, um, I one person like it. And honestly, like I don't know. Maybe it's just feeling constrained doesn't work for me. But um, you know, like the the sort of overarching idea of polyamory is that like one person can't fulfill all of your needs and the way that i like to explain this is um it just keeping it in the sexual context so like my partner is a bisexual right so let's take devin um i can be a lot of things to devin i could it's but it doesn't matter i could be like the best guy in the world the best lover in the world i could i could fulfill her in ways that no other man ever has 
but I've got a dick. It's a great dick, but I've got a dick. <laughs> and it like she is bisexual. And so like I, I can be a lot of things to her, but I can never be a woman. Just not going to happen. Um, and that is a need for her to be with other women, you know, to her, be able to have that side of her sexuality expressed. And uh, I would never want to stand in the way of that. But, but by the same token, if, you know, like there, there are um, – so both of my partners are, are, are younger than I am. Uh, not tremendously so, but, you know, like it's, we're just generationally a little bit different. And if there's someone with whom I connect who's my age – and, uh, you know, we like grew up listening to the same type of music and they love brand new and they want to go see an emo show. Uh, I'd rather do that with that person than with my partners because it doesn't mean the same to them. And that could be a friend of mine. It could be a guy that I grew up with. It could just like, but when like you connect on that level with someone about this thing that this other person has no like real connection to. Why wouldn't you want to do it with them? Yeah. And so, you know, in, in the case of the music, it's like, I, I, you know, if, if that's with a woman to whom I'm attracted and we want to end that night with a sexual experience and that's going to like, you know, really like deepen the, the, uh, the meaning of that night for us. And that is an option, but yeah. that's cool. I realize you've got a hard stop and there's so much more yeah. we want to chat about, but we'll have to leave it for another time. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys, thank you so much for this. Thank you for the meandering conversation. I really, uh, I really do appreciate it, and like for not talking specifically about fitness. So I'm gonna. Get, <laughs> we have we have two minutes. We have two minutes for a wrap up. So cool. Let's let's do the thing. Any any lightning questions, or if you want to do the, where can we find out more about you? Bullshit. Well, that too. But yeah, there's um, there's only so much you can talk about with fitness. So I think this was definitely much more valuable. Yeah, it's been very interesting. Um, final question. Any advice you would have given yourself ten years ago? Yeah, honestly, like uh, stop avoiding pain. Um, you know, I grew up. Uh, I grew up. You know, I had a really rough background, um, and uh, you know, everyone avoids pain, but people who have experienced a lot of pain like really avoid it, and they avoid conflict. And uh, what I what I really wish that I, I could have done or what I would advise myself now to do is like seek that pain out, like really dive in and explore it and figure out uh, where it comes from and, and the things that trigger you and be willing to accept that um, pain is the great teacher and it is it is the thing from which we all grow. And I, and I think that uh, like having all this stuff going on in my head in terms of like you know, it, like my, my sexuality, my polyamory, I would like notice it sometimes. And I'd be like, Oh my God, that's fucking terrifying. I don't want to. And I would like <laughs> shove that down. And then, you know, like, again, my, my marriage to Nagar was an amazing experience. My relationship with her taught me so much. It wouldn't be who I am or, or what I am without it. But like, nobody gets married to get divorced. And had I been able to like get to that point and like understand all of that shit about myself prior things would have played out differently. Either we, we would have realized that we weren't suited to one another and maybe just built a really great friendship or we could have uh, attempted a relationship where in those, like those could be, you know, options and uh, having not done the work, having not uh, really embraced pain and done the, the messy shit of digging in and, and finding out what everything means and where it all comes from uh, put me in a position where I had to do it later when I had people, um, depending on me and, and there's just no way to, to like do all that work without it affecting the people around you. And so that was, if I, if I could have done that earlier, I, I, I would have. Awesome. 
Fantastic. Well, yeah, John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, so to follow the cliche, how can we find out more about you? Honestly, slide in my DMs on the Instagram. I, <laughs> I, I have websites and shit. Don't go to them. <laughs> you know, like, I, 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 no, that's not, I don't know when this is going to come out. I just revamped my personal website, johnromanello.com. We are uh, like, I'm actually going to be loading a bunch of content onto it this weekend. Um, so you can check it out there. I don't know if there's like an email opt-in up yet, but honestly, more than anything else, if you're interested in learning how to write effectively, if you are interested in learning how to build a seven-figure business, I can help you there. Uh, if you're just looking for some mentorship, that's an option. If you want to talk about mental health, specifically depression, anxiety, and suicide, I'd love to chat. So it, whatever it is, if you're, if you're interested in having a conversation with me of any kind, just slide into my DMs on Instagram. That is the easiest way to get a hold of me, and my name is obviously at john romanello great we'll put a link in the show notes john it's been a pleasure speaking thank you for sparing your time that's everything from this episode of the propin fitness podcast thanks guys take care Hey, Johnny again. Hope you enjoyed that episode of the Propane Fitness Podcast. Just a short reminder, if you're listening to this, driving in your car, and you're thinking, man, I really wish I had a reference that they made in minute five or 10 or whatever to that thing that they were talking about. Well, we've, we put together show notes for these podcasts every single week. We give you timestamps. We give you links to things we talk about. And we also give chances to grab free things, bonuses, etc. So head over to propanefitness.com and grab the show notes for this episode over there. Also, if you want to be notified of these podcasts when they come out, if you want free subscribe, subscriber-only benefits, stick your email address in and grab our free downloads, one of the many free downloads if you go to propanefitness.com and the homepage. There's a big red banner on the top of the website. Pick up that free ebook, that free download, and we'll send you emails whenever a new podcast is available. Just one short reminder as well. As you are a podcast listener, you have access to our exclusive free gift that is available nowhere else. And that is at propinfitness.com forward slash gift. Yeah.